I've done this church thing for a long time now, and I think I've got something important to say about it, about your expectations, and about you. Here's the deal with the church you are in right now. There could be something deep in your heart that changes today. We hope for that. In fact, we pray for that. But honestly, in my experience, the chances are, well, kind of slim. Now, I know that sounds a bit harsh, even blunt, but I don't know if there's much that can really change a person in 60 minutes. We all know that real change takes a lifetime. They'll ask you to focus on God, and that's a great thing. But it'll be almost impossible to really focus, especially with everything going on in your life. They'll ask you not to be apathetic. I assure you, nobody's apathetic about Jesus. You've just heard this message over and over. Now, I really don't want to sound negative, so when they sing, sing along. When they pray, close your eyes. And when they study the Bible, follow along. But as you do these things, my advice to you is simple. Really simple. Be careful how much you allow your heart to lean in. To lean in toward God. To lean in toward the other people in the room. Oh, there will be a time for you to lean in more, but it might not be today. So hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. I don't consider myself an expert or anything. I've just been around long enough to have a little experience in the church. I hope you have a great day and that this church meets your expectations. And if you need anything at all, or you just want to talk. Good morning. Where were you when the rain came? Were you awake or did that wake you up? Tell you where my mind went. Did you know that the guys in our youth group are on a retreat this weekend? Camping? Outside? At least that was the plan. When I heard the thunder and the lightning, I thought of them and I thought, I bet they hear that too. And I wonder what they did. We'll get a full report when they get back. Uh, and look forward to that. The girls were smart enough to have their retreat Friday and Saturday. Beautiful weather. You know, it's just like that, right? It all works out. I am glad you're here today. We are starting a new series called Lean. You know, whenever there's trouble or change or uncertainty, there's something about all of us, I think, where we tend to want to step back and lay low. You know, we don't want to be too quick to speak. We want to be careful, and that's not always bad. In fact, sometimes that can be the best thing to do. But my hope for us as a church family is that we would lean into what God wants to do through us. And that even for each of us individually, that we will lean into what God wants to work through us as people. You know, for years, uh, when we started doing PowerPoint for sermons, <clears throat> I would have to create my own image and all that. So I'd find a graphic here or there and put it all together. And just recently, we found a website for churches that does all that for us. It is fantastic. And so you just punch in the search engine, you know, a, a theme or a topic or a book of the Bible, and you get all kinds of options, and then you can customize it. I love that. So I got on that website, and I typed in the word lean, and let me just say the, the pickings were lean. Uh, it wasn't much. There wasn't a graphic at all. In fact, all there was was this video. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll watch it and, and see. 
and the end really grabbed me. So I had to watch it again. And then some of the words, probably you were listening as well, toward the end, thought, wait a minute, what's, what's happening here? And some of the words really grabbed me. Chances are slim for change, real change. When they sing, sing along. When they pray, close your eyes. When they study the Bible, follow along. But what really bothered me was when he said, be careful how much you allow your heart to lean in. To lean into God. To lean into others in the room. Because what I know about all of us is that there are areas in our life where we need to lean in. Where God is wanting to do something in you. He's trying to conform you into the image of his son. And he wants you to be a part of that process. God wants to work in you. And God has called you to do some things. So he doesn't just want to work in you. He wants to work through you. He wants you to be his voice. He wants you to step up. He wants you to be the one to make a difference. And I know how easy it is just to to put it off. To step back and not lean in. So in this series of messages, we're going to talk about leaning in. I want you to think about that as a church, but also for each one of us individually. And I'm going to study select passages from 1st and 2nd Timothy to help us to think about this concept. Because all throughout these letters that Paul wrote to young Timothy, there is this consistent tone to Timothy to step up. To lean in, like now's the time, you're the one. And so you see this over and over again in these two letters. I'll give you a couple examples just to begin with. First Timothy 4.12, Paul writes, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and purity. We know that verse. We've quoted that verse. We've heard that verse. Timothy, don't let your young age be an excuse. God can still use you. God can still work through you. Don't buy into the excuse that you've got to wait until it's your time or, or you need more experience or, or you're too young. Let someone who's older do it. Don't do that. You lean in. You know, maybe if you stayed this before, you know that commentaries will often say that Timothy was timid. And so Paul was addressing that. And, and maybe that's true. And it's easy to understand why they would deduce that because you sense that tone throughout the letter where Paul is, is calling him to kind of step up, to lean in. But at the same time, I think about why would Timothy be in the role of preaching at the church of Ephesus if he was timid? That was a mighty challenge, right? So why would he be placed in that kind of role If that's Timothy's persona or his personality or his way, or maybe it was that the challenge at preaching at Ephesus was so overwhelming that young Timothy had become timid. And then I think of, compared to Paul, Timothy was timid. In fact, every one of us compared to Paul would probably be considered timid. But either way, he addresses that in the letter Look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Or look how the NIV renders it. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 
There are times we need to hear that. All of us, whether we're young or not, that is who God calls us to be. That's the spirit God has given us. Not a, a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. Because it's so easy to excuse ourselves and think, well, you know, that's just my personality, or that's just the way I'm wired, or that's just the way I am. I'm a little more timid, a little more reserved. And yet Paul would write to Timothy, the spirit God gave you is not a spirit of fear, but power and love and self-discipline. Just like young Timothy, I think we need to step into that. You know, I think maybe when we're early in our Christian walk, we might even confuse the two, humility and timidity. And to think if I'm hesitant that that's being humble when maybe in reality we're being cowardly. Because they may look the same on the surface, but they're really so different. That's not the spirit that we have. The spirit God gave us is that we're not timid, not fear, but love, power, and self-control. So Paul challenges Timothy with, with these words, and I think that's a challenge for us as well. So a couple of questions as we work through the lesson. What's the problem? What's going on here? I think the problem with me and maybe the problem with you as well is this. We have the tendency to lay low when we need to lean in. We have a tendency to step back when we need to step up. It's just kind of part of our human nature. Maybe there's a relationship that needs some attention. You need to step in. You need to lean in. You need to say something. You, you need to address something that's going on. But you know it's going to be hard. It may not go well. It might be emotionally exhausting. Because of that, our tendency might be to not lean into that, to step back and to hesitate. Or maybe God gives you an opportunity and you feel like, hey, here's a moment where I can speak to this or I can step up. I can be the one. And so you're, you're, ten, you're tempted to lean in. You want to lean in, but you think not now. Maybe I'm too young. Maybe it's not my time or, or someone else who knows more, they can step up. And so we lay low. And I wonder for how many people this becomes not just a tendency in a moment, but almost an approach to life. That instead of ever thinking that this is the moment or this is the time or that God can use me, that we're always sitting on our hands and our mouths are closed. And so God is not working through us because instead of leaning in, we've stepped back. We're not available. I wonder how many people have thought, I wish I'd fought harder for my marriage. Or when my kids were younger, that I'd had more conversations as they were developing in their own faith walk with the Lord. I wish that I'd leaned in. I had the opportunity, but I, I missed it. I don't think any of us wants to live a life with regrets. But that's what happens when that tendency becomes more of a pattern. Not just in a moment, but really more of an approach to life. Well, Paul wrote both letters to Timothy later in his life. Paul had planted the church in Ephesus, and they had some issues, and he's addressing some of those here. Paul's on his way to Macedonia, and so he tells Timothy, here, here's some things you need to know. Timothy, it's time for you to step up. Timothy, you're the one. You need to lean into this. 1 Timothy 1.3 says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. 
The word charge there, other translations render that command or instruct. But charge really is, I think, the best word because it's a military term. It means to command as an officer. And that's not a word for timid people. Timid people don't charge others, do they? That's not part of being timid. And yet this is what Paul says. Timothy, here's what you need to do. You charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, verse 4, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Don't let people waste time just talking about it. I think as NIV says, such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. You ever been a part of a group like that? Maybe it's a class or a group of friends or maybe in a whole church where it's just talk, 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 talk and nothing ever gets done. You meet and you meet and you meet and you meet and there's never any action. And sometimes you get frustrated and think, can we just stop talking about it and let's do something? That's what he's talking about here. At the same time, maybe all of us have been guilty of this. Because it's easier just to talk about it than to do it. To meet about it than to step up. I think about like serving. You know, serving is one of those things. As a church, we can organize things and, and we kind of expect, okay, tell me what to do. Tell me where to sign that. Tell me what to bring. And, and I'll do that. And we can do great things together. But serving doesn't require the whole church to organize things. Serving can also be just right there in front of you. The person God put in your path in your life to open your eyes and serve. Now, you can do other projects with others as well, but serving is not just something we do in collaboration with others. I wonder if Timothy was hesitant for the same reason we hesitate, that we lay low, that we not step up, because we don't want to rock the boat. We want people to like us. We don't want to mess things up. We're hesitant to lean into someone's life because we don't want to offend them. We don't want to uh, ruin the relationship. You know, we're not sure how it's going to go. We don't want to overstep. But the challenge is that God has put people in your life for a purpose. You need to help them get to heaven. They need to help you get to heaven. At times, that may mean you need to lean into that relationship and, and speak, challenge, with respect, with humility, with love, this is what a true friend does. That's what we're called to do. That's the challenge. Well, what's the purpose? What's the goal? What's the aim? Look at verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. But I thought Timothy's job was to correct those or charge those to, to teach sound doctrine. Right? Isn't that what he was supposed to do? Well, yes, but it's more than that. You teach the truth. Don't stray from the truth. Don't teach anything but the truth. But that truth, the goal of that truth is that each one of us will be filled with love. So not only do you have the truth, but that love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Verse 6, certain persons swerve from these have wandered into vain discussions. I looked that up in different translations, vain discussions, and one that really stepped out, I don't normally go back to the King James, but the King James rendered it, they turned aside into vain jangling. What is that? 
Vain jangling. Well, vain means meaningless. We know that. Jangling, I had to look it up. Jangling just means discussion. The Greek word that's rendered there, vain jangling, you know what it means? Facebook arguments. <laughs> that's what it means. Really, it means empty talking. One author said this, ultimately, vain jangling is an onomatopoeia. You remember that? In your English days, onomatopoeia is the word that sounds like it is, like buzz and crack, bang jangling, bang jangling, bang jangling. Think about it. That's what it sounds like. A bunch of talking, and you don't really get anywhere. So maybe the King James Version got that one right. They, they end up, they wandered away into vain jangling. Paul's saying, don't let your life be defined by that. Don't be known by that. I always have something to say, but there's no meaning to it. There's no substance it's just empty talking, vain jangling. For some of us, we lay low because we don't get caught up in that. I think about this, parents. There are those key moments, and you've got to look for them. I would say you have to be leaning into them, those key moments when you can speak to them about their walk with the Lord. There's never going to be the perfect moment. You almost have to make the moment. And you don't do that by stepping back. You do that by leaning in. Or maybe there's friends that you feel like, okay, I need to say something. I need to do something. Maybe, maybe your friend group is, is turning a direction you know that is, is not the right way. And you want to say something. And you turn around and look and everybody's in their phone. And so you pull yours out too. You missed the moment. Maybe you want to be a part of what God's doing in this church. And yet there's so many things that pull us away. Good things. At some point, life goes on and we've missed the boat. Verse 5 again, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. So what's the motivation? Or maybe a better way to ask this, but what about blank? And the blank there is you fill in the blank because we all have something, some mistake, some past failure, something that's holding us back. We know what we did. We know our mistake. We know how we blew it. And so anytime anybody's talking about stepping up, leaning in, doing something, and the back of our mind comes to the front of our mind where we blew it, but what about? Look how Paul addressed this with Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Foremost. I think it's the NIV says worst. Maybe you remember the King James. New King James says chief. Number one. That's what he's saying here. Makes the point. Paul admits this is who he was before he was a follower of Jesus. But notice, instead of just parking there, instead of stepping back and laying low because of his past, he's leaning in with his story of grace and redemption. He's not denying anything he did. He admits it openly. Everybody knows what he did. It's very public. 
But he's leaning in with the story of redemption. And this is so important. I think one of the reasons we don't lean in, we don't step up, is because we think our failures disqualify us. But what about? And it comes to mind. We have several things to go in that blank. Dr. Fran and I was talking with was mentioning how even older women remember to this day they had an abortion and they live with that guilt and shame. They never get past it to the point where it keeps them from asking, God might be able to use me. Or the young husband who's disconnected with his bride and, and instead of leaning in, instead he's hiding behind a video game and she goes to bed alone and their marriage doesn't get any better. I think of people I know that God wants to bring his kingdom to others. And there's a voice that says, but wait a minute, what about your addiction? Or what about your affair? Or what about your failure? And here's what Paul is saying. Look, if God can use me, God can use anyone. It's not about the failure. It's about the redemption. It's about God's grace. If I can lean in, anyone can. Because here's what we do. And Satan is so good at that. He, he twists the words how can anybody who's done what I've done ever speak up, ever step up, ever lean in, ever be the one? And so we feel like it's kind of tied our hands behind our back or, or, or taped our mouths shut or, or in some way just wrapped a rope around our ankles and, and, and we're forever shackled because of a past that Jesus has washed clean. When you say, I'm the last one who should ever lean in because of what I did, think about that. That means you're making it about what you did more than what Jesus did for you. You're focusing on your failure more than his ability to save you. You're focusing on who you are, not who he is. What you did is not what disqualifies you. It's what he did for you. It's what allows you, because of that, to be the one to step up. I'm not preaching because I earned it, or I deserved it, or I'm good enough. It's God's grace. It's God's mercy. You don't reach a level where you qualify or you're spiritually enough, and then you get to the point all of us have issues and problems and challenges. All of us have been washed clean. All of us have a past. All of us have things, but what about in that blank? But it's not about the blank. It's about Jesus and what he's done for us. Look how he continues in verse 16. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, the worst, the chief, number one, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example of those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Listen how the New Living Translation renders that. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. The very thing you would think would disqualify him. There's no way Saul of Tarsus could be used by Jesus. Oh yeah? Watch this. And Jesus did just that. The very thing that Satan would use to disqualify, God will use through you 
to work in you. I put this question on the screen. Could that be true for you? That the very thing that he thought, or any one of us might think, that would disqualify us from leaning in is the very thing God could use to help you step up to lean in more powerfully. Paul very humbly says, here's my story. Here's, here's who I am. Here's what I did. Look how amazing grace is. How loving God is. It makes God the hero. It makes God look good. The past is still the past. Sometimes a matter of public record. Everyone knows it. But this changes everything. This brings me to the one thing I really want you to take away from the message this morning. I put this on the screen. It's on your outline as well. Leaning in begins by leaning back on Jesus. Leaning in begins on leaning back on Jesus. When we lean back on Jesus, then we lean in with our lives. So we hear this. There's a part of, I'm an I'm a analytical person. I like points. I like bullet points. I like lists. And if you're that way, you may think of this, okay, give me three things I need to do to lean in. Or give me four things to remember, and I can put that on my notes. Or I can stick it on the refrigerator, and I can remember. But here's where it doesn't work that way. Because leaning in is not a list. Leaning in is a position. It's a posture. It's a relationship. You lean back on Jesus, and when you lean back on Jesus, then you'll lean in with your life. Let me give an example from Scripture. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, and it was getting near the end. He was there, and there were just a few with him, mostly women, Mary, and a few other ladies, and one disciple, John. We know that because John's gospel tells us that. John is, is leaning in. He's there. He is fully present with the Lord. Jesus knows this. It's a very tender moment. You remember. Because Jesus says, John, take care of my mother. What a moment. And there's John. Yes. He's leaning in. Of course he's going to take care. She'd become his mother. Just what Jesus was asking. Where are the other disciples? They're laying low. They're stepping back. They're not leaning in. They're not there. They've abandoned him. But there's John, fully present, leaning in. Why? Why was John there and the others weren't? Might have an answer for that. A few months back, we talked about what happened in the upper room. James mentioned that. And again, go back and read John 13 and the chapters that follow. So much happened in that upper room. But just before he's arrested, there's a special time with his disciples. They have the meal together. And there's that solemn moment. And you can just almost sense a change of mood in the room when Jesus told them what was about to happen. Not just that he would be betrayed, but that one of you will betray me? Well, how do you respond to that? What do you say at that moment? The text says that it was Peter who thought, who would do that? But Peter didn't want to speak up this time, kind of a change in Peter. 
So he motions to one of the other disciples to ask. Look at John 13, verse 22. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. The text doesn't give his name. It just says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, who is that? Because doesn't Jesus love all of his disciples? And so in that sense, it doesn't really tell us who it is. Well, we know John is the one writing this gospel. But instead of saying one of them or even saying John or saying me, John wrote the disciple whom Jesus loved. If that is not underlined in your Bible at some point, I wish you would. Or or write it down because the most important thing that you could ever say about me is I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's not about my family or my name or my accomplishments. The most important thing is that Jesus loves me. And you can say the same thing. This is the phrase that John uses to identify himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So let's get the setting here. John is reclining next to Jesus in John chapter 13. And Peter motions to him, you know, asking somehow, motioning that. Verse 25, so that disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? That phrase, leaning back against Jesus. I want you to picture this in in your mind. There's this table big enough for all of them to be around, but they're not sitting in chairs. We know that. They're kind of lounging around the table. The word literally here, he placed his head on the chest of Jesus. I said, Lord, who is it? I'm telling you, that posture communicates so much about what John and Jesus had. That in this moment, John felt so comfortable, so close, so intimate with his Lord that he was leaning his head back on Jesus' chest and ask him the question. It tells us about John's dependency on Jesus. It tells us about John's security with Jesus. It tells us about John's relationship with Jesus. He leans back. When I see that, This is who John is with Jesus. Then it's not surprising to me when you turn a few chapters and Jesus is on the cross, who is there at his feet? But Jesus, but John, right there with Jesus, he's leaned back at that moment with his Lord. And now with his life, he's leaning in. You lean back into dependence. You lean back on his power. You lean back on his strength. Because you can't do it yourself. 
You remember the wise words, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So as we close, I want you to think about this phrase, this image, this posture. Keep that in your minds this week. What, what would it mean for John to lean back on Jesus' chest? To lean back on Jesus? Because if you start your day like that, if you start your day leaning back on him, your security is in him, your identity is in him, your peace is in him, with all this going on in the world, all the things that we don't know about tomorrow, you start your day there, and then you end your day there, I guarantee you, your whole day, you'll be leaning into Jesus. You'll be thinking like Him. You'll be seeing people like He sees people. You'll respond the way He responds. Because you've leaned back on Jesus. That's how you can lean forward. <clears throat> There's the bell. So let me close. If you're a child of God, you are a disciple that Jesus loves. That's huge. If you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, you are a disciple that Jesus loved. And if so, maybe it's past time for you to move God's grace ahead of whatever you put in that blank. Maybe it's time for you to believe God's grace is bigger than your sin, your failure, your shortcoming. Whatever it is you say, but what about? Do you finally believe it's about what Jesus has done for you more than how bad you blew it? If you've not yet become a disciple, if you've not yet a follower of Jesus... We always offer an invitation for you to make that decision. Jesus died so that you could be his. He loves you. He wants you to have eternal life. And we've got the water ready. And folks, I know the lightning and the thunder is out there. We'll be quick. But today's the day. Won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage?